Welcome to Cult America, where we discuss the weird, wonderful, and worrying rituals and sacrifices that make America great. I'm Carl Joseph Black, a Brooklyn native born into the cult that is America. And I'm Lisa Charlotte, a migrant who bought into the cult from far away. Hey. Hey. And today we have a very special guest with us. I'd like to welcome Elise Noor. Hi. Hello, how are you? Hi, y'all. I'm good. How are you? I'm great. So We're Elise great. is um, the co-producer and pirate expert slash <laughs> poet expert slash soon-to-be religious expert on Sweet Bitter, my other podcast. So... Yes, just always great to have you on my on the show. I also She's was robs. was born into the the cult of America, but in um in the deep south, in uh, just Oi. outside of Atlanta. Well, I wasn't born there, but that's where I grew up, and um so I don't have the accent, but maybe the y'all gives it away. Are you from uh, Gwinnett County or no? I'm from county? Forsyth County, so it's a little bit north Forsyth. of uh, Atlanta, sort of up toward the mountains. Cool. Yeah. Do you want to give us a quick introduction to you, Elise, aside from my my accolades that I gave you? Sure. Um, I'm an associate professor of English at Regis University in Denver. Um, I'm a poet, writer, video game scholar, um, podcaster, poetry editor. I wear many hats. I have a three-year-old. I'm a lesbian. I'm a Christian. I don't know. What else do you need to know? I mean, well, it's just a whole bio. All, a video game scholar. <laughs> You can't just slide that up in there and just keep it moving. Whoa, whoa. As a person who's been playing video games his entire life, like what is a video game scholar? So it's an emerging field of of scholarship kind of underneath the banner of pop culture studies. Um, Mm. And so game scholars can look at games through any number of lens, like artistic, narrative, ludic, sort of theoretical gender lenses, things like that. And what I do is more sort of telling the stories of key games that um, changed history. So I wrote a book about Super Mario 3, and I wrote a book about GoldenEye. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested in like the 80s and 90s and just like the that like really fast growing time of like the console games from Nintendo. Um, so yeah, I like to interview. Both of, both of those games changed my life. Really? <laughs> You'll have yeah. to read a book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me like, too. <laughs> <laughs> Like just you know, Super Mario was the first video game I ever played. Oh my god! So so I was just like, whoa! Like I didn't know we could do this with a television. <laughs> Same. Like, Same. You know, you're you're watching TV your whole life, and people are just doing what they're doing in TV, and now you get to hit a button and Mario jumps, right? Yeah. So you're like, whoa! Mind blowing. What the hell? You know, it's the first game I got mad at too. Oh yeah. Uh, because there's just so many boards that like so many levels. You're there for like ever trying to pass it's the worst um it's the worst um <laughs> so so addicting so, so addicting um so hard to conquer but when you you know when you end up beating it you're like wow great let's do it again yes right that feeling yeah, yeah. is called flow state actually and oh yeah it's specifically designed to put you in that position of it being just hard enough that you're frustrated and it means something when you win, but not so hard that you throw the controller at the television. It also is very important that in video games, failure is your fault and not the game's fault. If you feel like you were pressing the button and the computer wasn't registering it, you're going to be pissed off at the game. But if you feel like you just didn't press the button fast enough and it's your fault, then you'll be fine. Paradoxically, okay. we want to my, fail. Yeah, my dad and my brother are really big the button didn't push people which i call bullshit on also like so we had like because we had split family and like on my mom's side she always had nintendo which i didn't really stay with my mom so we always had like playstation at my dad's and so i was more like 
Crash Bandicoot and all of that. But we were only allowed to play video games for 30 minutes a day on the weekend or the holidays or whatever. But then my dad, we would get a video game and my dad would stay up all night finishing it. Oh my God. (laughs) And then he'd just like sit there and be like, oh, I did that already. And we're like, you played it for like 12 hours straight. Like you didn't sleep. (laughs) And this is why. And we had to pay for 30 minutes a day. Like one game. Oh my gosh. So I was like more like Crash Bandicoot Tekken kind of person. Oh yeah. Crash Bandicoot was a classic. I fucking love Crash Bandicoot. I kind of want to get a PlayStation just to play this game again. I played (laughs) Tekken at an arcade the other day with some random like 20 early 20s shaper people and yeah. uh in atlanta actually Ooh. they were like not expecting me um to be i don't know good at video games and i'm like bitch i threw my <laughs> whole child to play tech in you are not prepared i got a decade on you this is my shit also i love that snoop dogg is in tech and tag that's like one of the first times i yeah. remember seeing snoop dogg in like some random obscure thing oh, yeah that guy like gets the bag it's great i oh, love it gosh. i'm like so proud of him for all of the yeah, he's <laughs> all the like- shit all the money he's making <laughs> And it makes sense that like video game scholarship is like a subset of pop culture. Yeah. Because right? Snoop Dogg himself has just become like this pop culture icon. Where I love his it. face is literally everywhere. It's true. He's like, he's on a like wine bottle. For yeah, he's brand. for Australian brand. Yeah, yeah. 12 crimes. Brand, 19, yeah. 19 crimes. Oh, 19 yeah. crimes. It's yeah. terrible wine. And he's just. He's oh, like a symbol now, it's, it's, right? He's, he's yeah, just he an icon of something. He means something more than, you know, just the man. <laughs> I love yeah. it. I love it for him. It's great. He just like lives his life and he's like, I'm going to partner up with Martha Stewart. Why the fuck not? Let's go. Like, it's great. Yeah. Um, but we're not here to talk about Snoop Dogg um, and we're not here to talk about video games, unfortunately. Although I feel like maybe in season two, we'll we have to do an episode on, we episode. might need a video game episode. Like, there's got to be a cult in there. Somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. There's got to be some cult themes in there. Uh, usually we start our episode with America or cult, but... Um, given the recent news in this week, which maybe by the time this is released is a couple of weeks old about Roe v. Wade, I thought that we might start the episode talking about that. Yeah. Uh, seeing as our episode today, Christianity in America, mm-hmm. our cult behavior of the day is members are encouraged or required to live and or socialize only with other group members. Ooh. And that's our uh, sort of thing today. And I just feel like Christianity is just trying to make us all fucking members of their ideology. And yeah, so. I grew up Catholic and Catholic is like, you know, growing up Catholicism and Christianity were fairly synonymous. But like, as I got older, I kind of got introduced to like Protestantism and like people who are Baptist and like those folks are also Christian. Right. So then like my idea of Christianity kind of like expanded. So now I'm like, oh, Catholicism, although there might be, you know, a large number of them, it's actually like just a subset of this entire the entirety of Christianity. Right. And um, but one thing I did notice growing up is that uh, we we always encouraged hanging out with other Catholics it was like weird. There were like all these like ball leagues and like fairs and well, or bazaars, they would call them. Um, you know, you were, you had to be an altar server. You almost spent your entire life around other Catholics. Interesting. Yeah, it was it was weird. And if somebody was an atheist, it was just like super weird. And we like looked at them like they had eight heads. Like you don't believe in God. You don't believe in Jesus. Yeah. Are you insane? Like, you know, so... 
so yeah that whole idea of you know members yeah uh, mm. uh members only having to kind of stick around with other members it, it wasn't like publicly stated but it was almost it was almost by design to mm. kind of push that yeah that's interesting that growing up as an atheist <laughs> we went to like <laughs> but it's so funny because we grew up atheist but my dad grew up religious um and I went to church with his mom, I think just so my parents could have some time off on Sunday morning. Like they were like, go to church with your nana. It means so much to her. Like religion's bullshit, but just like go to church with her. Um, and then we p- played like, cr- like we played basketball for the church. Cause yeah. that was like one of the, it was one of the things that like organized basketball teams. And it was like, it was good. We didn't have that much money. It was like cheap um, to do it through the church. I went to an Anglican school. Most, um, private schools in Australia are are religious. Mm. We had the coolest chaplain. His name was father Gary. We called him father (laughs) Gaza because we're Australian. Uh, and he was such a great guy. Um, and he like fully knew I wasn't religious. He never pushed religion on anyone. He took like, you have to take religious, uh, religious education if you go to a Christian school. And he took that as like learning all the world's religions, which I thought was really great. So he was very like, yeah, I got along with him really well in school. I think I was like the only person in from like grade 11 on who didn't have to do religious studies because I was like doing other subjects or something and I got a special exception. But yeah, it was just like I had a, I didn't ever have like horrible views of Christianity. Like it was like a thing that existed and like my family is very, very staunchly atheist, which like I think for me it's like we clearly haven't figured it out. So like, maybe we just leave that wine and try to be good. You know, like for me, I'm like, I don't know why I think I figured it out when like no one clearly has. Um, It's funny when people make the distinctions between the different denominations, because obviously like, you know, I've sang at my step great grandma's like funeral and she's Catholic. So, and then I have like part of my family is Catholic. And so I definitely notice a difference in the services compared to Anglican or church of Christ or whatever. But for me, like all Abrahamic religions are all kind of the same <laughs> thing. I know they're not, but like for me, it's like it was Judaism, then Christianity, then Islam. And it's like, that's sort of how I studied it too, I, in terms of for terrorism. So it's like, it's for me, it's like, it all kind of is the same. It's like when, <laughs> so, um, it's like in Orange is the New Black, when um, Black Cindy converts to Judaism and she says, Christianity is just fan fiction of Judaism. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's a perfect line but it's but it's funny because christians will often be like well you know you know christianity is like the next step and i'm like well if that's your logic then islam is the next step <laughs> right. like right. it's not like yeah. you can't like use that on that step and then be like no but the next one is not right totally but yeah. i never felt like any religious belief was like religion just never plays a part like my roommate like she's very religious and it's not like I mean, she doesn't try to save me or anything. It's just like, cool. Like she believes what she believes. I believe what I believe. I respect her perspective. She respects mine. And that's just how I feel with everybody. Mm. The way I was raised is, and I should say from the outset, um, a disclaimer, which is that I work at a religious institution. Anything I say on this podcast Mm -hmm. are just my views and not my employer's views. Um, But with that, I was raised, like that definition that you read of socializing only with other group members and in a way trying to like impose your beliefs and like draw more people into the cult is 100% explicitly the message that I had from my religion growing up. Because I grew up in the South attending with my family a non-denominational evangelical megachurch. So one of those ones Mm. that has tens of thousands of members. and so non-denominational like, like unsaved with the hands up in the air yes and the yes absolutely yeah, the okay. charismatic worship the um mm-hmm. 
So non-denominational as in like we weren't Presbyterian or Methodist. We were a Protestant evangelical non-denominational. So it was like this cult of personality. We had a pastor. Our sanctuary was so full that they had to project him as a hologram in the other side of the building. Like it was just crazy. But the message was really explicitly like when even if you were baptized as a as a baby, it's not enough. You have to, as an adult, make a declaration publicly in front of the church that you believe that Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior, and then you get full dunk immersed in baptism. They literally had it like up on stage, like up on a jumbotron. They would have people come out and get dunked and give their testimony. And then it was your responsibility to, and we learned this in youth group, they were telling us this, to evangelize to other non evangelical Christians. So at one point I remember being in youth group because I was always drawn to people of all kinds of, you know, backgrounds and faith traditions. I remember one time at youth group making the mistake of mentioning that I was going to a friend's bat mitzvah and they were like, she's going to go to hell unless you save her. It is your job. Like you need to talk to her about Jesus. Like 13? Yes. Oh God. I was like in middle school. I was in middle school. Yeah. So, um, so they expected, you know, that was your whole social network was, if you're part of the church, you have a week of social events. You have like Sunday all day is spent at church, um, you know, and then Wednesday is going to be Bible study and Thursday is going to be small group. You're expected to only hang out with other people from your church. And, you know, it went without saying that you were going to marry another Christian um, of the opposite sort of sex. how my family is with basketball, by the way. I <laughs> really? really feel like I should say, like, we, yeah, like <laughs> basketball, like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, like training's Friday, all day Saturday. I guess that's basketball. a cult too, maybe. It's- my parents wanted us to breed for Australia. They're like, you got tall jeans. Like with my sister, because my sister's six foot five. And I'm always like, you could date, like if you wanted to date a guy, you could date someone shorter than you. That's okay. And she's like, no, no, no. I have to breed for Australia. <laughs> like my parents literally would be like, you have to breed for Australia. So sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt your point about because I I know where you're well, going. Well, you, you know you know about thing, the movement. But I just it, when he was saying it, I was like, "Damn, my family was into the cult of basketball." Well, you, when you're talking about breeding, you guys know about the quiverful movement, right? What's no. that? No. What's that? Okay, let me. I want to Google this just to make sure that I don't get this wrong. But the quiverful okay, movement so. is yeah. the, the. This wasn't even my church. This is like way more extreme. So it's a it's a theological position held by some conservative Christian couples who see large families as blessings from God. So they okay. abolish all forms of birth control, including natural family planning. And basically it's a way for them, they, they think about it as like, the more Christians we can breed, the more we're going to take over, right? Like, the, and then the well, more of the world is saying wow. Every sperm is sacred, you know? Whew. That's just what came to my head. Yeah, so they're basically trying to have as many Christian babies as possible just so that you can have like a quiver full of arrows to shoot at people basically is the idea. But like, what if they don't end up being Christian? Oh, they will be. (laughs) (laughs) It's weird because I find that it's not purposeful either. But like my my partner, Tracy, Tracy's Catholic. Mm. And like she's uh, she went to Catholic elementary school, Catholic middle school catholic high school i did the same thing and i'm like did they did they get me (laughs) like (laughs) did they like perform catholic inception to keep (laughs) to keep us breeding (laughs) like like i wonder how i wonder how these practices by the quiverful movement look like what are those practices like 
It is a massive Wikipedia page deep dive you can do. Um, Before we continue on with the conversation about religion, while we're on the topic of having babies, let's talk about, let's talk about Roe v. Wade. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Let's let's get that out of the way before we go into some of the America stuff, because, you know, this news this week, this leaked document is a lot. And Carl read the whole draft, so. Yeah, Alito really... Let us know how he felt about Roe v. Wade this week. And wow, where do I begin? Okay, so in the United States, we've had this long-standing battle of rights. The Constitution was created to protect a bunch of rights. Uh, the rights of people, uh, the rights of the federal government, and the rights of states, right? And um, essentially, uh, every Supreme Court decision is essentially a balancing right, a balancing act of any of these rights. So on a given case, we could say, hey, like there was a state that did something to a person and, you know, does the person's personal rights reign over the state's action, right? Um, Sometimes the federal government does something and um, essentially they do this thing that grants people a particular right and it actually goes above the state so the state goes hey i have a right to make my own laws Mm. how can you make a law that goes above mine right so sometimes the state will sue the federal government and say oh like you can't do that right um sometimes uh the person will sue the state or the person will sue the federal government because something happened to them and they're like but Either one of you or both of you are violating my rights, mm-hmm. right? So, um, so the issue with abortion is, uh, it's a it's a twofold issue. Uh, the first issue with abortion is whether a state can create a law that controls a person's rights, personal rights, right? Um, and then the second issue is whether a person can violate another person's rights, right? And that's why we have this longstanding argument about when a fetus is a person, right? Um, Because we should be, quote-unquote, protecting the rights of the fetus. But if you're controlling the rights of the woman, then you're violating her rights. Mm -hmm. So Roe v. Wade essentially said, well, you know what? No state can make a law controlling what a woman could do with her body. No state could. Or someone having a baby, yeah. Right, or someone having a baby, Mm. right? So so essentially, the federal government said no state could make a law doing that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what states said was, okay, great. Um, We're not going to make a law banning abortions. We're just going to make laws that make abortions hard, Mm. right? Um, So they kept on doing that. Then they said, oh, we're not saying that abortions are illegal but what we're doing is we're making we're making laws that tell you when an abortion is no longer allowed and that's when they started essentially chipping away at the weeks that's when you started hearing 15 weeks mm. 20 weeks that's when you started hearing the trimester stuff right cuz they're still trying to determine when a person is a person right um so alito in this draft, essentially makes um, two arguments. He makes one argument that the right to an abortion is not one of the original rights in the Constitution, because he is a person who looks at the Constitution from its original context. You mean when women weren't really counted as people? Continue? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> that time. 
Um, so he looks at it from this original context. Mm -hmm. Essentially, he's like, well, these aren't one of the rights that the Constitution protected when it was originally written. But there is a like quagmire in that argument because there's numerous cases that reference. And I'll just sum it up quickly. Essentially, they're saying, um, hey, uh, yes, the Constitution didn't give us these rights, but like... You know, these are things that we identify as people that of that this is liberty, mm. right? Like this, because the whole Constitution's concept is we're supposed to give people liberty, right? The whole country is based on liberty or death or whatever. Um, so one, he makes an argument that, hey, the Constitution didn't have those rights given to women when it was written. Then he says, hey, like... Back then, when they were talking about liberty, they weren't talking about abortions because abortions were illegal back then. So that wasn't counted as liberty. Then he says, hey, uh, states should have the right to determine what laws they make. And the federal government shouldn't make laws that trump a state's ability to make laws to, for their state. Mm. Um, so he says Roe v. Wade should have never been passed in the first place. Um, so we should just reverse this whole shit. Um, that's like a 98 page summary summed down to like, probably like a few minutes. You did a really great job. Yeah. Uh, and thank, thank you for that. Cause I never yeah. would have read it. And it's good to have like the legal context as a, white Australian woman who like has traveled a lot in the South and in like pretty rural places. Yeah. Um, I've had a lot of very interesting conversations with old Republican men uh, because they always want to talk to me because I'm young and foreign and like they're, you know, they're excited to like, they don't want to like cause any waves. And so I've had some interesting conversations around this. Cause for me, it's just bonkers that the same party that advocates that we should have the right to own guns and the same party that advocates that, against face masks yeah. and all of this stuff is yeah. like then saying and like a couple of things which i found really interesting following this on twitter one of them was um the idea that uh that this violates religious freedom which i think is really interesting for this episode uh so for example in judaism there's a lot of really good threads on it but basically like it is part of Jew jewish culture to not invoke on the rights of a woman if a child is um yeah. is you know is mm. unwanted or whatever. Mm. And the other one um, that I've just been really interested in is seeing all the mothers who are like, I had a wanted pregnancy and yeah. I had an easy pregnancy and it's so hard. Like it's just so much like such a violation in like so many different ways yeah. of like, you're per like people judge everything you do when you're pregnant. You can't like, they're telling you what to eat. They're touching you without your permission, like that part. But then also like the impact it has on your body, yeah. both when you're carrying the child, after you're carrying the child. I've spoken to my, my mother about this and she had her last kid like 20 years ago. And she's like, I've never recovered from yeah. having kids. Yeah. Like it's 20 years later. I still have like all of this different stuff. Yeah. And you know what? My mother, like shouldn't have been a mother. She's like admitted that herself. Like she should, she should probably have had like some people just shouldn't be mothers. It's just crazy. And, and then there's all these reports of the the women telling their stories about, you know, I not that this is the only kind of abortion that should be just you should be able to get an abortion mm. for whatever reason you want. But these women telling the story about like I was ready to have kids, I wanted to have kids, we were trying to have kids, and then my mm. kid got diagnosed with an incredibly painful birth defect where they would where have they suffered. wouldn't even live past like twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah, and they would suffer the whole time, um, and it could cause damage to me. So mm. I had an abortion and it was the most painful decision I ever made. Like, 
and, and so there's not going to be exceptions for that, for health of the child or the mother. There's not going to be exceptions for rape or incest. And it's going to go as far as these Texas laws where there's bounty hunters. So you can report an Uber driver if you know that the Uber driver drove someone to an abortion, or you can report um, your neighbor or your student or your colleague for having well, they've been talking about like period tracking apps and oh, like yeah. some and yeah. i don't i haven't read enough into it and i i really like tracking my period it's like one of my favorite apps but like and i haven't heard that that i use mentioned explicitly but like people are saying that the data is being sold and that there's potential with this technology yeah. that women can be um found out and not even just for abortions but for miscarriages being investigated and that's yeah. something that most women who try to have multiple children will have a miscarriage. It's so oh yeah, fucking. This common. is the Handmaid's Tale, and I mean the hypocrisies mm. around. Like you mentioned, the the Supreme Court just ruled that the government doesn't have a right to make you wear a mask. Like no one ever should have the right to use your body against your will, right? Even to save another life. You can't life. even take a dead person's organs exactly. without permission exactly. from them in their life. Like exactly. it's wild to me yeah. that like me as a woman, my bodily autonomy is less important as an alive woman than it is when I'm dead. Yeah, as a corpse. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's so weird because, like, there was this whole my body, my choice when it came to the vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. Right? What the fuck happened to that? And that's impacting other people's <laughs> fucking lives. You know, we know that it's not about preventing abortions because they're anti-comprehensive sex education. They're anti-birth control. They're anti you know, healthcare, it's right? Controlling women. So it's, it, yeah, it is. It's about controlling because the, and also the politicians, wives and mistress, all these conservative politicians, wives and mistresses, they're still going to have abortions. So it's about mm. controlling poor women and women of color in particular. And it, it, it's absolutely insane. I mean, you know, we, we know that you can't ban abortions. You can only ban safe abortions. And so women are going to die. Lots of women mm. are going to die um, or be miserable. Men kill or... women who get pregnant to them already. Can you imagine how bad, oh, yeah. like how much worse it's going to be when they can't even go get an abortion? Right now, every day around the world, 50, 5 zero women are murdered by their partners or spouses. That's all. Mm. <laughs> wow. No, like it's, yeah, it's, it's like, a genuine concern as a woman. No, I was going to say, I was thinking about our episode on Ramalis for Sweet Bitter when we talked yeah. to Kelvin and he was talking about the way that um, when slavery ended in the Dominican Republic and how the rum industry basically just like created slavery like in a different form through capitalism. Yeah. And I think one of the things I saw going around Twitter is like when they're criminalizing abortion and they're criminalizing potentially miscarriages, they're putting women in the criminal system, which means that they can't vote, which is like, I know a long-term strategy, but we know the Republican party are really good at those long-term yeah. fucking strategies. That's yeah. why we're here now. Yeah. And um, I didn't even consider that aspect of it, but if we criminalize abortion and we're putting women who are going to go do that into like prison, if we're criminalizing their behavior, like that <sighs> takes away your right to vote for the rest of your life. Yeah, that's so true. And it's the same thing they did with, you know, black Americans, to be honest. Yeah. Like, that's what the whole criminal justice system is for, is to create, like... There are so many different ways that states, state laws, and sometimes the federal laws, too, but, like, there are so many ways that, you know, you create a permanent underclass of citizens, right? Mm -hmm. um, because when you think about it, there's actually statistics out there that qualify this, but... After Roe v. Wade was passed, crime fell by like 40%. What? In certain cities, yeah. So like abortions actually made a contribution to lowering crimes. I mean, that makes sense. I don't know if it affected poverty in the same way. But but what I would say is that there are people who are impoverished 
as a result of having unwanted children. Of course. Right? Their opportunities are limited. You know, it makes it harder for them to finish school, finish college, finish high school. Mm. Uh, and for any person who has a child, um, it makes it harder to, you know, get a job or keep a job or advance in that job. Right. Um, and these are like, like there are all these additional economic factors attached to this that um, we we don't even talk about. But I know that people feel but it's just it's just the control of somebody's body is just such a visceral reaction. Right. Yeah. And I think that. Well, I don't know. Like, obviously, the Supreme Court isn't simply swayed by economic numbers. Mm. But um, I think corporations have identified that, mm. right? Because what companies have been doing, um, Goldman Sachs did this, JP Morgan did this, Citigroup did this. Um, they said, okay, great. Like, if you want to get an abortion in another state, like, we'll, like, pay mm. for that. We'll We'll fund it. You know what I mean? And we'll give you the time off to do that. And you're you're likely going to see a lot of that type of action happening from a lot of other companies that want to support their employees. Um, And I also think that there's like a lot of women are just going to move. I'd say there's been um, so much progress in the last uh, 20 years in terms of um, a a woman's earning potential. Right. Um, And women consuming and stimulating local economies um, and also starting businesses. So as a result, what you might see is state budgets, especially if many women decide to move state budgets, like where they have, you know, strong abortion laws, Mm. um, or out outright outlaw it. Um, you might see their budgets suffer as a result. You know, in the past, many states have done this to each other. Um, and they've sued each other for this too. Uh, where one state will say, you know, one state will have a bunch of companies or whatever, economy's doing fine. The state next door says, yo, no corporate taxes. Mm. So now what happens is the corporations move to the state next door that has no corporate taxes. So they lay off a bunch of people in one state and they move across to the other state mm-hmm. and hire a bunch of people in that other state, right? Um, and I would not be surprised to see states kind of play that game with each other now, but with abortion laws. And it sounds weird and fucked up, right? Love this for us. Yeah, it sounds weird yeah. and fucked up, but yeah. I wouldn't be, like governors have already started coming out saying that. Tom Wolf, mm. uh, the governor of Pennsylvania, which is a swing state, came out and said, your, your right to an abortion is safe here which is like a very bold statement. Mm. Um, Phil, Mercy, Phil Murphy, the governor of the state of New Jersey, said the same thing, but New Jersey isn't necessarily a swing state, mm. right? So yep. so everybody kind of was just like, well, you better not fucking try that shit in New Jersey, right? Like mm. New York is the same way. Like I don't think Carrie, um, Carrie Hochul came out and said anything, but I think it's just known that you better not fucking <laughs> yeah, try that. Yeah, I can't imagine you know? it happening um, in New York. But, but seeing it happen in Pennsylvania was very like interesting mm. Because there is a very strong conservative base in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And he might actually like lose his seat, which is why in his tweet he said, so long as I am governor. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because there is a high chance that he could lose his seat. But we right? need more politicians like that, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. but I think also we might run into like a gerrymandering issue too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because now like whoever wins state 
politics yep. like the impact is even more significant mm-hmm. yeah right um i mean if this passes there, I, we should say it's still a draft yeah right? it's still a draft at least you have something to say yeah sorry? well i i'd want to expand on that because Lise mentioned earlier that this is all come comes from political strategy and i want to really emphasize that and maybe connect us to christianity since that's like mm. so like, okay, a couple things. First of all, it's always been a strategy and it's always been about race. So until the 1960s, Republicans, most conservative Christians, were pro-choice because they mm. believe in the separation of church and state. They believe in less government. Then the civil rights movement happens. And in order to unite their you know, racist movement, evangelical leaders launched the pro-life movement. They invented it out of thin air. So today, mm. 59% of Americans believe abortion should be legal. believe it shouldn't be, but 77% of white evangelicals believe it should, are are pro-life. So it's another case in America of being ruled by the minority who's better at organizing and have more power through these systems of like, right, gerrymandering, voter suppression. I mean, the reason we, the reason we have this Roe v. Wade decision before us right now is because of voter suppression of people of color. That's what Trump used to win. And that's why he was able to stack the bench with his people. So this, so the idea of this being a Christian value is preposterous, right? There's like Christians of all stripes have different opinions on this issue, but Jesus said absolutely nothing about abortion in the Bible, right? He talked about the like need for us to have richness in our lives. When we talk about like our bodies are a temple, like that means we should be able to make, have control over them. There are books like Jesus Feminist that really emphasize that the Christian message of radical justice right is at the heart of the abortion issue and so there and jesus also by the way was really big on health care that's kind of the main thing he did guys remember he just went around yeah. healing the sick healing people yeah. who were too poor to be to feel better that was his thing that's what he spent most of his I thought time jesus doing was a capitalist i thought he was a capitalist that's what i'm a white capitalist no yeah so like <laughs> so even though the court isn't like you know citing anything in the bible as they write up this opinion obviously this is the the like galvanizing forces behind this that shaped Andy Comey Barrett that shaped Neil Gorsuch right um are pro-life evangelical churches and so this this is a massive violation of church and state um Mm -hmm. which conservatives should be if anything most concerned about because they don't like the government involved in their life too much so the hypocrisy is insane. Yeah, to the me. idea, like, I've had these conversations about healthcare with people, and like, they were like, no, I want my choice over my body and my doctor. And I'm like, you have less choices with your current healthcare system. Like, take it from someone who lived somewhere with a public healthcare system. You are like being trapped by the system. Like, it's yeah. not a choice, like, unless you're like a fucking multi billionaire. Um, huh. Also, like, I'm just going to say this because, like, so I'm just going to say my alma mater. And I don't represent them at all. You know, we always make this conversation about like healthcare and whatever that like, no, because America, because it has like the corporations and the pharmaceutical industry, they need that for, um, to move things forward. My university in Australia that I went to is the number one school for pharmacy and pharmacology in the whole world. Wow. And that is based on a lot of government funding. Wow. Um, And it's like number one, like beat every single other school in the whole entire fucking world, which for me is like wild. I'm like, that's insane that like my school in Australia could be like number one. But like the whole idea that like we need fucking capitalism for a pharmaceutical industry to work is bullshit. Because that's from a country with public healthcare, with government funded research. Like it's like, it's the biggest recipient of government funded research uh, funds, at least for the state, uh, maybe the country. Um, and so it's just bullshit. It's just bullshit. Yeah. But oh, yeah. the economic thing is really interesting too, because there are so many things 
that are not captured in that. So like I'm an unwanted teenage pregnancy and I went through like too many things that a kid should never have to go through. Um, my mom didn't finish high school. My dad didn't like, you know, he couldn't do a uni degree. Like there Mm -hmm. are a lot of those, you know, kind of situations where like, I think ordinarily both of them would have done that. Um, my mom was only 17 when she got pregnant. Um, I think my mom and I got a degree around the same time when I was 30 and she was what, like 48. Um, she put herself through school as an adult, but like my dad doesn't have a degree still. Um, but the level of like trauma of growing up with people who haven't even been, who didn't plan you a, like that gets, that gets thrown in there a lot. Like my dad will always say forever that he doesn't regret anything, but you can tell like sometimes if I'm out here living in New York or whatever, that he's like, wow, I wish I could have done that. And he's never been able to do that. And like, you kind of live with that idea your whole life, right. That you sort of like ruin your parents' lives. And then not only that, but like, and I know I didn't, but like, it's like the, it's, it's sort of an underlying current and they're not sort of, they don't have the time to explore who they are. They're like kids themselves. And so I think that like that level, like I, I took a lot longer to get where I am than uh some of my peers because uh i had a lot to go through like i had a lot and i didn't have a lot of support um because my parents were figuring out their shit uh and you know i'm incredibly grateful as far as like kids from my circumstance go i was incredibly lucky but like it's not to say that like i look at my um you know my sisters who are much younger than me they had a completely different life and like that's what the kind of life you have when your parents have like decided to have you and plan to have you and like yeah you know sorted things out yeah Um, and 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 that's that's the underclass right yeah Mm -hmm. because like you know you were fortunate Mm. enough to like okay you move to new york you live in a fairly nice place you have a great support system you have an education i lived off fifteen hundred dollars a month the first three years I lived here, though. Right, yeah. right. But I was and, able to do that because I grew yeah, up, like, scrappy. That. I'm just saying No, 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 that. I know. I've got a yeah. really good life, like, compared to most people But there are a lot of people who have mm. parents mm. who, like, there are a lot of products of unplanned pregnancies that, they, because their parents weren't mature enough to have them, but had them anyway, um, because they had to have them. They couldn't afford an abortion. Because that was one of the other issues, too. Which is wild. Like, because abortions were legal, but it was like $300 yeah. or but more kids are so much to more get expensive. one. You know what I mean? And it's just like, if you're out here, if if it's 1997, yeah. and you know what I mean? You're yeah. making six bucks an hour, yeah. and then boom, you're pregnant. And, you, and the guy you were with either ran out on you or yeah. doesn't have the money either because he doesn't work. Right, like oh my you don't have the abortion, yeah, and then on top of that, like you grow up in that poverty, and then like you know that kid could grow up to be something great, or that kid could grow up to be, you know what I mean, like like that that kid could grow up and commit a crime, that kid could fall into drugs, oh, totally, you know what I mean, mm. because like I am the product of an unplanned pregnancy, mm. right, and my mom fucking struggled, bro, like I was like, damn, lady. like like, damn lady you going through all of that for little old me thanks you know what i mean thanks a lot which is why like we have such a great relationship because i think i think about the fact that this person has sacrificed 
what might possibly be one strike at this life thing, mm. right? Because, you know, like, like as a as a Catholic, you believe you're going to go to heaven or some shit, right? You know what I mean? But, like, what we do know is we get one chance. Mm. Some people believe we get to come back, whatever. But you get one shot, right? So, like, you got to, if you're going to be here for whatever, God knows how much time, right? Because you might be here for 30 years. You might be here for 80 years. Whatever it is. Yeah. Um you get one shot so like if you have this unplanned pregnancy and you do and you you give up your life for another child like you don't get that time back Mm, yeah um you get your body back you don't and you don't get your body back as a woman right Mm, so so it's just it's just a lot to kind of then turn around and mandate it Mm. oh yeah yo you should have just never had sex in the first place without a condom you know people never have sex (laughs) Yeah, well, or well, sex at all. Th- that's a really important point, actually. So I think that I blame this issue not even so much on religious ideology, because again, we've established that like there's no there's nothing in the scripture, there's no religious reason. It's all organized, it's all manufactured by religious communities. And so mm. more than anything, I blame wealthy white evangelicals. Because we talked about how their community Privacy isn't a value in their community, right? They're together all the time, all week long for their Bible studies, airing their worst, you know, sins to, to their community. That's part of the thing. It's like you you pray and you, you're in community and you tell everyone all your business. So, which, by the way, feels culty to me that you wouldn't have any privacy mm-hmm. in that tradition. That's literally right? what, like, Keith yeah. Mary did. Yeah, and it's patriarchal sure. and it's... So, okay, yeah. so they're white wealthy evangelicals the only way they can so it's their culture the only way they can understand why you would get pregnant is because you were irresponsible right and the only reason they could understand why you wouldn't want a baby is because you know you're lazy and not working hard enough they don't look at it through the lens of right so and even alito in the in the um in the draft he mentions that because there are safe harbors now for women to just dump their you know drop their kids off and get out of there and put their kid up for adoption that justifies rescinding abortion rights right as though a 13 year old pregnant girl is emotionally equipped to even even if you have the baby and give it up for adoption that's a trauma for you to know that your kid is out there and you don't get to be part of their life because there are no, you know, universal paid childcare. There is no parental sick leave. There, there are no options for a thirteen-year-old teenage mother, right? So you have no choice but to give up your kid for adoption. It's a trauma for the kid too. It's a yeah, trauma, it's trauma for, for everyone. We talk about it's bodily autonomy, in which case we are mm. forcing women to have a ri- highly risky medical procedure, major medical event in the country with the highest maternal mortality rate in the developed world, right? Spe- again, higher for Black and Brown women that you're going to die while you have this baby. We're forcing them to make that kind of choice, but. But then we can talk about privacy, which is what this what the court is talking about it as. And every major civil rights breakthrough has has been organized around privacy, right? The right to privacy ensured interracial marriage, same sex marriage, the decriminalization of homosexual sex. That's that came from a case where the police literally barged into someone's house and found two men having sex and arrested them. Yeah. So the fact That's, that conservatives uh, don't care about the right to privacy is what kills me. Like what? Yeah. That's the most fundamental thing mm. for a conservative. This is the scary thing, you know, in addition to all the scary stuff, is that people are talking about how the legal logic here is going to apply next to same-sex marriage because that was decided on privacy too. Like Alito said in the beginning, essentially, there is no right to privacy. Yeah, it's it's profound. The Constitution was not written with a right to privacy. Um, so from the patriarchy, uh, from result, the from the white supremacist patriarchy, yeah. like they're allowed to invade yeah, your lives, as, right? As like, a result. 
Yeah, it, it's and, absolutely and it's out of control. Because they, they pick and choose their battles. They pick and choose their battles, right? Like, because uh, last year, the IRS wanted financial institutions to report transactions of over $600 to them, right? So if you're PayPal, if you're Cash App, if you're any of these companies, $600 transaction <coughs> or more, make sure that we know about it. Record it so that we could see it. And conservatives were like, oh, no, you can't do that. Privacy. <laughs> people's but, money you cannot invade their account yeah privacy they have been so distracted by their pro-life movement that they've left the queer people alone for a little while comparatively to what they were doing in the early 2000s but now that they've won this battle they are coming mm. for lgbt communities next i mean without a doubt like again the legal precedent for privacy is what allowed the decriminalization of homosexual sex so this scares the shit out of me it really yeah. does and uh, the case you referenced earlier, it's uh, Lawrence v. Texas. Yeah. Yeah, there, there were conservative arguments in there yep. that, like, agreed that a man's home is his castle, right? Like, I, um, and, wait, you, I made you watch The Castle, didn't I? Is that why we're referencing this? <laughs> yeah. but, have you but, watched it, Elise? No, but, like, I, I think that is actually quoted in the case, too. A man's home yeah. is his castle. You've got to watch it. It's a great Australian film called The Castle. I think you can rent it on uh, Amazon or apple or whatever but it's like one of my absolute favorite australian movies it's everybody's a favorite australian movie like it's it was like low budget quintessentially <laughs> australian it's and it's i know you love australian shit it's such a great film um and it is it's all about a man's home is his castle it's basically a guy yeah. suing the uh government for trying to extend the airport into his like where he lives Hmm. Um, but it's very, yeah, man's yeah. home is his castle. A, a man's home, a man's home well, is his castle. And look, in, and like, in Oberfell, you have one of the attorneys arguing the case. Wasn't it the guy who had argued for Bush's victory in Florida? It was like the, one of the world's leading conservative lawyers argued yes. for same-sex marriage because of yes. these conservative arguments. Yes. Mm. Uh, it, and that's why it's it's interesting. Like, so like these rights that we're talking about, like the right to privacy um, and the way they've identified abortion it's it's what they call these unenumerated rights um so so they weren't enumerated in the bill of rights um so since they weren't enumerated which was written in the bill of when rights, they're unenumerated and like they have to kind of fit this construct that actually doesn't isn't a construct yet so like it's these um um essentially it's uh and i and i wrote it down recently um because it was like one of those great reminders of con law. So like when I was in law school, like con law was the class I was best at. Um, and like people are like, oh, Carl, you should be a constitutional lawyer. And I'm like, no. Uh, <laughs> so the quotation is deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition and implicit in the concept of ordered liberty. That's like the phrase that um, they typically use to defend um, unenumerated rights. And they're saying that abortion doesn't fit that. And Alito's draft makes an argument that same-sex marriage might not fit. He doesn't say it explicitly, but um, implicitly when you read it, you're like, is he saying same-sex marriage and protections for same-sex Well, they're saying interracial are- marriage as well. Like, it's I don't know if that's no, no, true. No, no, no. He explicitly states that he, interracial marriage is safe. Oh, did he? Yeah, he says interracial marriage is safe, but 
he doesn't explicitly say whether same sex marriage is safe and whether you know whether other activities are safe but yeah it's like really interesting where this is going but interesting but it's a draft yeah yes i know it's a draft it's not happened yet and hopefully this is like instead of ending up being a horrible dystopian future ends up actually kicking off some better things to protect women's rights and yeah. people, people have. I just don't think that everything that he said in that draft will be the final majority opinion. Yeah, um, there are other justices that um, have shown in the past that they don't agree mm-hmm. with some of the things that he have said. Not that he said things in the past and they showed they disagreed with it, but like there are other justices that some of the things that he said, I'm like, ooh, Kavanaugh might agree with this, but Gorsuch might not. I still can't believe you Kavanaugh's know? on the Supreme um, Court. So like, yeah, because I think Kavanaugh's probably going to jump all over this and say, yeah, this is good. Check it off. Run it through. <laughs> Right, beer, but, um, beer, beer. Yeah, I love yeah. Beer. But Gorsuch, Gorsuch is gonna be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Relax. If you want me to vote on this, you're gonna have to change some stuff up real quick. Um, Thomas might might also say something. Um, but sometimes what they do too is when they have a majority opinion, they have like a uh, what they call a concurring opinion. Uh, yeah. So like they like, yeah, I agree, but like I agree for a different reason, you know, Um, but Alito's 98 page decision majority opinion was really like shocking, Hmm. Um, almost like, nah, this is not a draft. This is a vent. He was in his house just like, (laughs) yeah, it was on his computer. And somebody saw it and was like, I'm leaking this bitch. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like just, on some, like, yeah. like maybe this was like an exercise with his therapist. They were like, if you could write any decision, Alito, you should let it out. But just keep it on your computer as a draft. But it's never going. And then somebody seen that shit was like, leak. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> but so, then, like, look, okay, this is the thing. Is like, this is what drove me crazy, like, the end of Obama's. And it wasn't even really the end of Obama's term when, like, Republicans got, like, so mad about, like, him putting a judge on the court and then they just fucking let Trump do the same thing. And like Democrats did not get angry enough about putting someone on the yep. Supreme court and they just hold such an incredible amount of power. Yep. I personally think that we should just stack the fucking court. Like, I'm just like, there is nothing in the constitution that says there needs to be nine Supreme court justices. And like, at this point I'm just like, yo, we just need to fucking fight dirty. Like, yeah. we just need to put like, if win a second term or if we the midterms or whatever, just put some yeah. other people on the Absolutely. fucking court because like they have played so dirty with this and it's been such a long, oh, yeah. sustained game. And like, it's so impactful on like all of our lives. But Elise, I'm aware that you have to leave us. I have to leave so, you, but can I leave you with a bit of scripture? Please. Sure. We'd love it. I'll just leave you with this tiny little excerpt from Jesus's um, Sermon on the Mount. Um, where he's teaching his disciples. Um, so a little bit from the part called the Beatitudes, where it's like, blessed are the blank, for theirs is blank. Blessed are the blank, for they will blank. So um, Matthew um, chapter 5, verse 10 is, blessed are those who are persecuted because of their righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Ooh. <laughs> Yes. Great way to leave it, Elise. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey. And sorry, this conversation took a totally different tone than so you originally planned. So great to chat planned, with y'all. But I it's think an it's honor. So Thanks important. for having me. Thanks. We'll yes. be back after a quick break. Great. 
I mean, I know Roe v. Wade's not a cult. I know we kind of went off of our normal like format, but that was just cathartic to have that conversation actually. And yeah. thank you for like, you know, educating all of us with your lawyer shit. I never <laughs> understand any of that. So, of course, mm. um, the right for women to do whatever they want with their bodies is something that's really, really important to me. You yes, know? me too. <laughs> um, <laughs> Surprisingly. And, yeah. And it's why, like, I spent all that time, like, really, really reading the Constitution, reading these, like, Supreme Court cases, and, um, and essentially just like digging my heels into this into this subject because it just it never really made sense to me um why this was such a like big issue i was like this is clear as day mm. you know what i mean like if we could sit down and go to war over the fact that we shouldn't enslave another group of people simply because of the color of their skin then we went through what would be almost a hundred years of ensuring that they have the the equal rights equal rights to everyone else in the country then like why are we now having this battle or this issue over the rights of what a woman can do with her body like why also is, america why goes to so fucking hard? war for this shit too like the way that americans talk about and like we should probably cover this in an episode with some more but like the way that americans talk about islam for example has always been about the way they treat women and the yeah. fact that america as a country is doing this is incredibly upsetting like i don't know like it just it's all it all feels so the same to me and like having studied like uh, like I studied like comparative religions as part of my, as part of my university degree, like really at the end of the day, like Islam was at its time more progressive for women. And there are a lot of parts of Islam that are very progressive for women. It's all political. It's always political. And it's just like the same kind of thing that's happening with the Taliban or with, you know, these groups or Saudi Arabia or whatever, like countries like Saudi Arabia is not about the religion of Islam. It's a similar kind of story of this, of like evangelical people trying to, dominate women trying to control women's bodies that has very little to do with their religion at yeah. all yeah and and me like what's interesting is when you learn more about like the way i like when i learned more about the constitution and rights people have so on and so forth like i also like dug deep into certain rights that i have mm. right like i went to the most liberal law school in the country and uh I had arguments while I was in law school about the right to bear arms, like about gun rights, right? Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, like I'm a person who I believe I should be able to carry guns. I know I live in a city where I'm not able to mm. um, and I adhere to those laws. Mm. But I'm like, yo, I want to I want to have access to guns. I want to be able to shoot. No. I want to be able to do no. those things. Mm. Right. I want to be mm. able to protect myself in my home or protect myself in my business. Right. And of course, I understand why people are on the other side right mm. because we have all of these school shootings because we have fucking people who lose their shit and shoot random people i get we have it, a lot of men know? who shoot women too i feel yeah. like for me like coming from a country where we have had really strict gun control laws for most of my life uh it's just like it's so it makes so much sense to me because like when there's a gun involved it's like 
And actually, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV show, does this really well. It's like the way they treat guns is like an unearned power. It's like it gives you so much power over somebody else. Like, yes, of course, you can like kill somebody with your hands or you can stab somebody with a knife. But the level of damage that a one person can do with a gun is so much more than that. Right. We have to have like, you know, licenses. Cars can do a lot of damage. Like cars are very dangerous, yeah. but they're, it's not their intended purpose. Whereas with guns, it's like it's it's just part of what they are. I don't know. The thought of guns terrifies me. Like of I, I get it. I behave completely differently in this society than yeah. I do in Australia because of guns. I am yeah. constantly terrified, and especially as a woman, that if I clap back to sexual harassment, if I don't smile politely at someone's advances, if someone's trying to talk to me on the street and I like ignore them or tell them to fuck off, which frankly I do, that someone's going to turn around and shoot me. And like, that's a thing that fucking happens to women. And so that part for me is like terrifying, yeah. but we are so off track and we're going to do a bonus episode on guns at some point in our future. Absolutely. I but feel I, like, I really yeah. just wanted to like say that, uh, I also firmly believe in the fact that there should be a separation between church and state, mm. right? That's another thing that early, you know, constitutionalism taught me. Like I, I read that and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. And and what's interesting is almost every drafter of the constitution was associated with a religion, right? So the fact that they said, oh, wait, it actually should be separate though, right, is something that they believed in. And it was weird to me that rhetoric, rhetoric that is so, so closely associated with religion is able to sway the state in such a way, mm. right? Um, so so that's the reason why, to me, they're a bit intertwined. But, like, many Americans believe that there should be a separation between church and state as well. A 2019 Pew Research Survey uh, actually found that large a large majority of Americans feel religion is losing influence in public life. and um, And guess what, right? Like... That's fine, mm. so long as it doesn't influence the state, yeah. right? And and what's interesting is people who do uh, uh, tend to uh, spend a lot of time worshiping their religions, mm. like those people stay out of politics, right? But like what I'm finding is that like there are voices that actually may be um, um, closely associated with religion. Those voices are really loud when mm. it comes to this abortion issue. Mm. Um, which which really makes things fucked up for me. Yeah, it's the it, the relationship between religion and politics is really interesting. It's it's funny. Like, um, I just feel like I need to interject some like Australian stuff in here just because it's interesting to compare and contrast. And yeah, I was thinking about it recently with Easter because we have like a five day weekend for Easter, and you guys didn't even have one day off, which I was like, okay, that's very interesting. Although I feel like in America, something that I appreciate is that it seems like. For every religion who has a holiday, there is like some kind of liberty for you to take that if you follow that religion. Yeah. If you know what I mean. So like people like for Eid or like or for like Jewish holidays, like people will be like, well, that's a Jewish holiday. It's like if if you want to take it off, like you can take it off. But in Australia, we can't buy lottery tickets or alcohol on Good Friday. Hmm. We say the Lord's Prayer at the beginning of because we don't have Pledge of Allegiance. We say the Lord's Prayer at the beginning of Parliament, I think even still. Um, we had an athe- we had one atheist prime minister, and it was a it was a deal. Like it was something that people like had an issue with that she was an atheist. Um, also, our only woman prime minister, also from Adelaide. Shout out Julia Gillard. But like, 
it's just really interesting to me that like Australia is much more of a secular country. Like we are um, percentage wise way more secular than the US. It's not weird in Australia to be atheist. Like I didn't feel ostracized because I didn't have a religion. Whereas coming to other countries, I felt like, oh, maybe I'm just going to keep that under wraps, you know, like yeah. maybe in the South, I don't need to tell people I'm an atheist. Like maybe yeah. in the South, I just say like, I went to church with my grandma or whatever. I'm Anglican or, mm-hmm. you know, it's just easier. But like, it's, yeah, it's interesting to me that in a weird way, you do have like a decent separation of church and state in terms of like the structure of the way the country runs. Yeah. But then like, I feel like in a weird way, even though I said that too many times, but like, I feel like even though in Australia we have a more secular country, we have more religion overtly in our systems and politics, but you have made like efforts to remove that from yours. But then like Chris, like you haven't had a, a president who's not Christian. Yeah, we have it. Uh, Which like, and and it's a big deal. It was a big deal when someone was like Catholic, right? It was a huge deal when JFK got elected Mm. um, because many people were worried that because he was Catholic, that he would actually be controlled by the Pope. Um, um, And he had to like, he had to have speeches clearly showing that he wouldn't and joe biden is also a catholic um and he also had to overtly say the pope will not have influence on me like you Mm. know what i mean um i have i have an interesting question for you though because like okay so there is like a statistic that 53 percent of people believe that churches strengthen morality in society. And this is something that like, I've always found really interesting because I didn't ever feel like I needed a church to dictate my morality. Um, I think I'm a pretty moral person. I live to my own standards of like trying to be a good person to other people, but I have heard this argument thrown around. And do you think that plays a big part in wanting a president to be religious? Like, how do you feel about that as a person? And how do you think like that plays into this whole thing? I think I think what really people are looking for when they say that they have a president who is religious or it, or at least um, subscribes to a religion, um, mm. particularly Christianity in the U.S., right, is that this person follows similar moral guidelines to I. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, most countries want a leader who reflects the populace, right? When you're Christian, you grew up with a lot of these parables, uh, these stories, these idea of these ideas of right and wrong, mm. um, and they shape your morality in some way, shape, or form. Mm. Especially when you're a child, and we're we're probably looking for a leader who subscribes to that type of morality. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't necessarily think personally, this is a personal opinion. I don't think that because you are religious, that you are morally better or worse than anyone else. Um, um, and I think we've seen that play out in many ways where people have, people are religious, but they can commit the most heinous of crimes, right. Um, or just be the most fucked up of people. Uh, so I don't think it's a prerequisite or that, you know, being religious absolves you. Right. But, but, uh, I think many people just look at it from that perspective. Um, but what I do find is there are these other things that people are looking for in a leader. 
But like Donald Trump surely is not like the epitome of Christianity. He's not. But before I move on, I want to just because I was talking about this earlier and I just want to bring this up as like a statistics. I think it's very interesting. 69% of Americans identify as Christian. Yeah. 45% of Australians identify as not religious. Okay. I just thought that was a wild statistic. Yeah. Like, yeah. can you imagine? Yeah. Like, in the US, like, 45% of Australians identify with no religion. Yeah. That's, like, a huge statistic. It is. Okay, um, I'm, I'm done. That was it. I just thought that no, was wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting because Donald Trump... Donald Trump is an interesting figure um, because he he too represents um, what many conservatives view as successful. Right. Um, um, and it kind of it, it kind of spins back to this whole idea of is my leader a person that I would want to lead me. Mm. Right. Um, and religion plays a huge factor in that, but also like having a nuclear family plays a role in that. I don't remember the last time we've had a president without children. One, I think, I think, I think, uh, Ronald Reagan had kids, but they didn't live in the white house. Okay. People look for these particular types of things Mm. to identify whether you can lead them. And, uh, but only if they're a man, because remember Jacinda Ardern very famously, got pregnant when she became prime minister yeah. with her boyfriend who she wasn't even married to. And people had things to say about her being prime minister. Also oh. shout out to Jacinda Ardern, who was like maybe the fucking coolest world leader there is. But she's is the prime that, minister of New Zealand. Yeah, for people who is don't it know. that she got pregnant or is it that she was pregnant with a man who wasn't her husband? It's that she was pregnant is that they were like, and it's interesting because like you hear this a lot, like that, um, you know, Men have families to feed. I it, remember when we watched Nine to Five, yeah. And she's like w- raising these four fucking kids, and he's like, "But he's got a family or whatever." And like that's yeah. seen as a virtue, but if a woman is raising kids, it's like seen as a downside. Yeah, it's like really that kind of thing. And I think that like that that nuclear family thing is really interesting. Again, Julia Gillard, our only woman prime minister, also did not have kids mm-hmm. uh, or really a husband. I think she had a, a, a boyfriend or something, and that mm-hmm. was like also like shock horror. Like it's amazing to me how. These things are pervasive and like I, I, what I think is interesting, I think I said this to you like personally is like my parents who are atheists buy into this shit and I'm like, you literally think we die and like nothing happens. So like what, how have you derived some meaning in this family structure? How have you derived meaning in like all of this? The meaning is similarity, right? Like I I see myself in you. I think the meaning is I did all this stuff and I had to suffer and because I had to suffer, you two should suffer. Mm. And I think when you break that cycle, I think that that's when things happen. Like me yeah. being 35 year old fucking woman who hasn't gone through childbirth, who like has a life where I just enjoy myself and where I like can spend time with my friends and stuff. That's so radical for where I came from. Yeah. Like I'm so different from like most people that I grew up with. I would argue it's really radical for uh substantial part of the united states as well absolutely it is uh, it's really yeah. radical like being making a choice like i have to be like with the lungaway and i've made which is like we're actually not going to like wait around to like find a romantic partner to start a life with we are going to like support each other and be each other's family and live yeah. together and it's kind of connected to religion it's kind of not connected to religion yeah people are really like holding on to that like I, because i think people when they've done it 
and they're so unhappy, they have to put it onto other people. They're like, I had to suffer, so you have to suffer. It's the same thing with the student loan forgiveness. I paid my student loans, so we shouldn't forgive student loans. What a fucking bullshit system. Yeah, it's flawed because, you know, the whole idea of someone else should suffer because I did uh, also goes against people who say that they want people after them to have a better life than they did. So, like, why do you make sacrifices anyway, right? So... So it's I want everyone regardless. to have a better life than I did. And it's again to the point where like, people are like, well, you suffered and you came out good. It's like, I don't want other, like, I don't want other people to, to go to through that. I should never yeah. have to go through that. I don't want yeah. to be celebrated for that. I don't want that to be a part of my story. I want for no one else to have to deal with this shit. Yeah. That's what I want. Like retribution is nothing. I want laws enacted so that like people don't get assaulted in the first place, for example. Like, I don't want this like retroactive, like, I don't know. It's just all, it all makes me really mad. I'm very, feeling very emotional. We started off talking about Roe v. Wade. America's relationship with God, like under God is in the fucking Pledge of Allegiance. It's really ingrained in your culture in a way that's it very is. interesting. And, and also the history of religious freedom mm. is ingrained in the United States, right? Like the whole, the, the reason why motherfuckers came here in the first place, mm. at least the reason why um, Anglo-Saxons came here, like the reason why puritans came um was in search of religious freedom because because they were persecuted for their religion back in england right um Mm. but again it's like everybody is equal but some people are more equal than others right yeah yeah i do have a fun fact about religious freedom um the city i'm from adelaide is called the city of churches and everyone thinks because we have a lot of churches but actually adelaide was the place with the most different religions so like we had a bunch of people like islamic people and jew like it was like very like we had we were the city of churches because we had uh more religions than anywhere else in australia it's interesting which i think is really cool yeah which nobody knows and so i thought i'd throw that fact in here yeah and and what's even more interesting is you moved from the city of churches (laughs) to the borough of churches i mean brooklyn is known as the borough of churches yes I thought that Queens was the borough with the most religious uh, diversity in the world. It Queens is the most diverse borough, mm. period. Mm. Uh, I mean, we're a five-minute walk from Queens here, yeah, to be uh, honest. Like, I'm in, like, I'm in Brooklyn, but I'm basically in Queens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like, I think over 190 languages are spoken in Queens alone. So fucking But cool. Brooklyn has more churches. And that whole separation between church and state thing also plays a role in taxes Mm. because churches don't pay taxes. They count as nonprofit organizations because they should not play a role in swaying political influence or they shouldn't play a role in funding the state Mm. because separation between church and state, right? Like there are so many things that um, really edify this idea um, and for the religious influence to be the one to be driving this conversation um, of abortion just bothers me. But nonetheless, it just um, doesn't feel it doesn't feel it's just not it's not about it. And that's the thing is like it, it look, this episode had a structure that we absolutely haven't followed. And it is because this is like so recent when we're recording this episode. And it's such a, you know, a huge thing that is happening right now. But like it's just for me, like as an outsider to religion, I've just frankly never understood a lot of religious people in terms of like, I've, 
I've had decent re- like representations of religion in my life, but I've I see religion often used to to shame people, to exclude people. Um, the next season of Sweet Bitter, which is probably the first time I'm saying this publicly, is going to be about actually like queer people and women in the Bible because I just think this is is such a big thing. Like for someone like Elise who was on the show, like she's she's a lesbian, like she grew up in the like if evangelical Christian South, like that's been such a journey for her to find her place within that religion. And as someone who isn't religious, I just, I can never understand why you would ever want to make anyone feel bad for who they are, why you would want to make anyone feel bad for who they love, why you would want to ever take away someone's bodily autonomy like that or not give them a choice. And like, it just seems that like from everything I've understood about Christianity and like, I went to, like, I had very, strict parents. One of the only things I could do was Bible study. I've been to Bible study. Like I, I've read the Bible. I've studied religion and like, I can't see anything in there that justifies this kind of behavior towards people. It's just, it, this is not love thy neighbor. This is not any of that. It just, it makes me really deeply sad. And, um, and that's why I think that's why I brought up the point about, um, morality. Cause I'm like, I don't know. I just crazy. Call me crazy. I'm just like, don't make people feel bad you know, call people what they want to be called, treat people how you want to be treated and just like, don't tell people what to do with their body. And like, it's just, it's been a rough week. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't really realize how much I had been feeling this until I started doing this podcast today. And I was like, wow, okay. It's been a rough week. I've been really focused on my new grill. I had to bring it up. I got a, I got a Weber. I can see it out the window right now. Gives me so much joy. (laughs) I've obviously been distracting myself with a grilling doing dad things but like yeah. uh yeah it's it's just it's you know you have every right to be upset mm. it's it's an assault on values like i said earlier like alito really went crazy on this one mm. you know what i mean it's not just hey like this is what i believe but it was like yo he was like yo this shit should have never passed in the fucking first place <laughs> like like and um and uh, he fucking referenced he referenced Sir Edward Coke, who also believed that marital rape was okay. Like it just, there's just so much in there that, like, I was shocked that something like that was even written I'm as a draft. Weirdly, not shocked. At yeah, all. I was like, I was like, whoa, that's a because because this is the thing, like, like you know. We we can't ignore the fact that um, typically legal scholars uh, are, you know, born, usually bred in an elite class and are almost like socialized in a very uh, in a high class manner. Right. So so you almost don't expect that type of language from a legal scholar Mm. like the way it was written you don't expect that kind of language from a legal scholar it was almost as if like it was almost as if he wrote a diss track like he was a rapper Hmm. writing a diss track talking about yeah that's why you know that's why you're broke you broke bitch like i was like damn like you know and that's why i said yeah 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 it had to be a draft and that would never ever be the final Mm. Um, because if it was like that would be damning and i think that's the reason why everyone is reacting the way they're reacting but i also think that's the reason why it was leaked Mm. uh because somebody read that shit and was like nah fuck out of here 
the people got to see this shit. Absolutely. You know? And it's important, but it's also devastating. And yeah, and it's, and it's something that like, you know, I'm not sure. I always was sure I wanted to have kids. I'm no, now no longer sure if I want to have kids. And it is because of a lot of these stories of the absolute trauma that is pregnancy on your body, the amount of financial uh, implications for me here. Like I never thought about that when I was in Australia, but here it's a really big deal. Yeah. Someone was tweeting the other day that they, their child birth bill because they had complications was like $1.2 million. Wow. Like insane amounts of money to have a child here in the country yeah. with one of the highest mortality rates. For- That's why I always felt like it wasn't up to me if I wanted children. No. So like people ask me that often. They're like, oh yeah, do you want kids? And I'm like, I'm like it's not really up to me. Yeah. You know? Thank you. Um, <laughs> because I don't have kids. I you have know? friends and, uh, who are couples who like, you know, have this argument. The male partner is like, I want to have kids. And the, the woman is like, I don't know if I want to do that to my body. Yeah. And like, for me, that should be the end of the fucking conversation. That's a huge trauma. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And uh, I also just think that to look at a woman as a childbearing device is also fucking weird, you know? But um, so many men see us like that. Like, yeah. I told you, I think I told you the other day, I ended up in this fucking, like, lift. And this guy was, like, listening to this fucking horrible radio show, which was effectively saying basically this. Like, it's so easy to forget sometimes that that's how you're seen. Or that being a woman who has opinions and who is self-sufficient is so threatening to so many men. Like, me as a woman who takes care of myself, me as someone with strong opinions, me as someone who, like... I am threatening to so many men. That's mm. actually terrifying to think about. And like these, this being introduced, this fucking experience in this car, all of this all conflating together. It's like, oh shit, I terrify men. Like not, not proper men like you, of course, but a lot of <laughs> men, you know? And it's just so fucked that our society is still in that phase. And it's so easy to forget when you're surrounded like amazing men like yourself and all the people in my life. You know, I have amazing people in my life. It's so easy to forget that that's the reality Um, And every time I step out of, you know, New York or even not even New York, just like every time I step out of my uh, circle or, you know, you encounter these things and it's like, I was in Chicago when this radio thing happened and it's like, oh shit, this is actually how the world sees us. Uh, Yeah. And a a lot of that has to do with the way we are educated. If you grow up in a conservative household, uh, you know, the way you're socialized typically is like you know, very male-dominated, very submissive woman. Um, And it's, you know, I don't use these words to, like, paint a picture. It's not like one fabric or just, like, one look, right? It's not like this guy saying, shut up, Betty, and Betty shuts up. Mm. But, like, very much of a, like, all right, like, a woman knows her place, a man knows his place. Right. Um, And very much like uh, uh, there's also like gender roles that play a role in that. And then there's like male camaraderie um, that plays a role in that. And there's, you know, women's, you know, women's camaraderie like that plays a role. And like the way we're socialized Mm. actually like allows us to kind of um, continue these things, Mm. both both, I think in ways that we 
clearly identify and I think that are also implicit as well. Like, I think for me, the reason why I ended up like I am is because I was raised by my dad and my uncle when I was young. And so Mm -hmm. like, I didn't fall into those roles. I was always like good at the things guys were good at. And Mm -hmm. because I grew up with like my dad being my primary caregiver and even when my stepmom came along, we didn't always get along. And so it was really important to me to always be affiliated with my dad. And so I always wanted to do the guy things and whatever. And maybe that's why I'm getting really into the grill. I don't know. I think, you know, that stuck with me, but like it was definitely really important to me to be respected as an equal. And part of that was being like more of a guy. There was a tweet the other day and it was effectively like, if these gender roles are so innate, why do we have to fight so fucking hard for them to remain the same? And that's what I feel about it. It's like, if they were innate, I would not be like how I am. There are levels of me that I picked up from, like my family is quite patriarchal, like in a broader sense. And like, I did, you know, things like, I feel like my house always needs to be impeccably clean or like, and I feel like that's my responsibility. And I do like have some gendered things, Mm -hmm. but like, I am like living proof along with other people that it's not like, it's not innate in us. It's socialized. Mm -hmm. And so me growing up young, being around all men, like I was socialized differently. And so even though I'm very good at English and whatever, I was much more exceptional at math. And I was, you know, I I think we have this false. Sometimes we have this false sense of, and it's because of, our patriarchal system, right? Like we have this false sense of belief that in order to be equal, you have to be more male, right? Like you have to have more male attributes and you have to act more as a male and um, engage in more male-like activity. But then people fucking hate you for that too. Um, yeah, and like, like I, I actually don't agree that being more male means being more equal. No. Even though that's how society tends to identify equality. Mm. I actually believe that um, being more yourself and having the ability to be yourself means more equality. So, like, I think that if a woman is extremely feminine, that, like, if she has, if she's you know, talented in these very feminine ways, she's equal to me mm. as a masculine male, mm. right? Um, it's We are the same but different, right? Um, uh, uh, we are equal but different. Um, and I think that's something that we tend to kind of forget because essentially uh, what has happened in, you know, for thou- hundreds, maybe even thousands of years, uh, we're carrying the trauma mm. of uh, male domination. So we believe that in order for us to be equal, we have to dominate males. Um, and that's not the case at all. I don't think that is the way, though. I think that there are particular women who subscribe to that belief. And I think that And this is the thing, it's like the whole idea again of like, if you can be moral in a corrupt society, like there are particular women who are trying to do that. And I don't think that they're wrong in what they're trying to do. And they'll both be vilified and rewarded for that. Right. So that's an interesting thing to talk about because we do live in a society that was built on the idea of male dominance. And so if you want to succeed in that to a degree, you have to do that. Yeah. What I really love is like the kind of the movement of women being like, no, I am actually going to lean into the things that I bring to the table as a woman and I'm going to use them for my benefit and I'm going to be unapologetic. And I think that actually the pandemic has sort of pushed that needle forward in a really weird way. And maybe that's why we're having this backlash around Roe v. Wade because in a sense, 
women have from working from home. So in a way they're being discriminated against because they end up being primary caregivers or whatever. But the idea, for example, of you being able to be more fully yourself, the idea of your kid being on a Zoom call, the idea of all of that is like our private lives have become public in such a very like quick way that we didn't expect. And like there are things that you cannot control, like you cannot control like a three-year-old coming in and like being injured or whatever. Yeah. I sort of push back against professionalism because I think it's sort of a bullshit gatekeeping tool that people use to like exclude women and people of color and whatnot. And so I've always been very like authentically myself at work and like that comes with a cost sometimes. And then I think it comes with a real benefit sometimes, but I certainly feel that that style of, uh, of work is it's fucking broken. I do feel like that style of work is, uh, is, has become more normalized where you can actually say I'm not okay or I'm sick or uh, my kid's sick or I am really struggling with the pandemic. Like I'm, I'm really depressed. Yeah. I'm really struggling today. And I think that that's something that's moved into the workplace. That's really positive. That would be considered a quote unquote, like feminine trait yeah. um, that I think is really powerful. And like, as you said before, like communities with women, like, and this has been shown in, in many, many, many studies. And, and when I studied international politics, the most successful, humanitarian efforts for lack of a better word were always when they went to the women in the community and said, what do you need? Or when they went to the women in the community and they said, we're going to give you money, like micro loans for women, for example, always had a much better effect on the community. Um, Going to women and getting them to lead things from their perspective, always better. It's just like, we have these ideas of like, it's, we just live in such a masculine dominated world with so much bullshit. And like, I could talk about this for hours and this is, this podcast has gone completely off the rails, but I could talk about this for hours, but like the idea of like, what is securitized, what's not securitized, for example, like men securitize like war and all this stuff, but like really we should be securitizing like climate change and like violence against women and, and, and all of this stuff. And um, yeah, listen to women. That's all I'm saying. And we, we've gone way off track in this podcast. Jesus, I think would have listened to women if we want to bring it back to God. Jesus listened to his mom. He did. He listened to his mom. He listened to like he listened the to other Mary, Mary Magdalene. Exactly. Like he listened to Veronica. He exactly. Listened to all his Jesus own, listened to women, man. Be like Jesus. You know what I mean? So like Jesus listened to women. I think the other thing too that we should also like continue to keep in the forefront of our minds is that we are all equal. We are all equal, right? And it, it's also the reason why I love divorce. Um, I fucking love that women take half of men's shit. Absolutely, they should. I've um, seen, like, because the thing is, we live in a society that's like, you should you should stay at home, you should look after kids, you should do all, all this. If you're making that fucking decision, then you give her half because your success is based on the fact that she is at home taking care of your shit. Equality. Yeah, 100%. E- equality, right? It's, and, yeah. and like, that's, that's... That's a fucking thing men's rights activists get fucking all up in arms about. They're like, women, they fuck over men, all this shit. And I'm like, these... These this exists because that shit was work. Yeah, because that is also work, and society has not deemed it worthy. And so many of y'all were fucking divorcing your wives and leaving them with nothing. The law no got career, it right. Leaving with all the kids. Yeah, all of that, and you like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the law got that right. Yeah, and that's clearly what I mean when I say that you can you can be as feminine as possible. Like you could be as feminine as you want as a woman. And still be equal to a man, mm. right? 
if he, he could be as masculine as he wants, right? And you are equal, right? The law sees that in certain aspects. And like, I think that we kind of get that misconstrued sometimes when we ta- have a conversation about equality because equality, right? Like equality is not sameness. Mm. My girlfriend Tracy says that all the time. Like equality is not sameness. It, it's all about equal access to resources should you need or want to access them. It's equality of rights. It's equality of choice. It's, it's, it's these things, right? But um, um, it's not sameness. Mm. And, um, and some women are naturally just more masculine. And then, like, I would argue there are women who um, embrace masculinity as a part of the fight to be equal Mm. right and um i don't think people should have to change to be equal you shouldn't have to be performative in order to become like like because there's a stress in that right like i can see i see some women like some women who are my friends that Mm. try to be more masculine and they're trying on something that isn't for them but they're doing it because they want to advance in their career or they want to be seen just as good as the boys the other side is just that you shouldn't have to one you shouldn't have to but two like because you you see that it causes a level of stress to them Mm -hmm. but i think the other thing is that you shouldn't have to because like you are in this room because there is a part of who you are that is valuable in this conversation Mm -hmm. um there's probably many parts of who you are that are valuable in this conversation so you should embrace that instead Mm. of trying to be the other person that you saw get a good like good job buddy Mm -hmm. like you shouldn't try to become like the person who got the good job buddy instead you should just fully embrace who you are Mm -hmm. we should all just be fully embracing who we all are uh because we are all equal right um so so that's what i wanted to kind of leave off with i mean i think we need to definitely end we've been talking forever this as I said, this went off the rails. I'm not mad about it, though. Me neither. But yeah, fuck Alito is how I'm going to end this. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. I, I am. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I have to. And um, I hope no one, you know, on my green card interview was listening to this. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> Freedom of speech, y'all. Come for me. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Cult America is co-hosted and produced by us, Lisa Charlotte and Carl Joseph Black. Our production partner is Three Springs Media. Our research assistant is Thea Smith and our artwork is by Estella Illustrated. Soundtrack is by King Virtue and So Soon. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps. We release bonus episodes there where we cover American movies. You can get in touch with us at cultusapod.com. You can leave comments on the episodes or you can contact us through the contact form. You can also find us on Twitter at cultusapod. If you want to be featured in an upcoming episode, please send a voice clip to the email address in our show notes. And that's it. See you later. My ancestors ain't died for me to be taking shit from no crackers. You want me to preach peace. But my frequency is on ratchet Don't wanna protest when a whole ratchet Don't wanna hold tep a whole balance Every chant for white lies A rant of white lies So we show them that black lives matter Last night I had a dream The cops were harassing